All right, what's up, guys? John Sintes here, Cast Crightload Cutter Nation podcast number 94. Arnell Iguanado. Uh, was yeah, close. that's close. That's good. Yeah, okay, that's good. appreciate it. Real, but anyway, uh, he's our guest today. But first, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's been growing very well. We're at 94. We'll hopefully, we'll get to episode 100 here soon. Maybe have a big party or something. I don't know. Yeah. But, but virtually because of things that are going on. <laughs> Wait, right? we're 94. I wasn't 100 to celebrate this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, well, uh, Arnell, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and just let everybody know, you know, who you are, where you're at, and, and we can just get it from you. Well, I'm Dr. Arnell Ginaldo. I'm a professor of kinesiology at Point Loma Nazarene University. I'm also the director of the biomechanics lab there. So a lot of our research is related to, to sports biome biomechanics. Uh, my emphasis and interest is obviously in baseball, baseball pitching, baseball hitting, but I also look at, uh, at uh, ACL injuries, for example, looking at some of the ways, uh, what we call modifiable risk factors of ACL injuries, and um, you know, help students who are interested in the field of biomechanics, you know, conduct research on campus as well as on the field and on the court, and then eventually help them um, essentially get careers in biomechanics. So, I breathe and live biomechanics. That's my uh, that's my bread and butter. Wow, that's exciting! That's mm -hmm. exciting. Mm -hmm. So I I know of Arnell from Eric Post, um, who has been on the podcast <clears throat> in the past. Actually, um, we went to state. That was back when we could go and and interview people in person. So that was cool. <laughs> wow, <that's laughs> pre COVID, um, right? BC. <laughs> yeah, but before COVID. That, yeah. <laughs> Um, but outside of that, um, just I've I've went down to the lab. I've seen it in person. Um, but outside of that, I don't really know too much else. But I do know that you're kind of uh, a stud. I know that you get a lot of people um, publish, right? Um, so can you talk a little bit more? Like, here's your time to flex a little bit, Arnell. <laughs> well, most of my research has to do with pitching related injuries. And so, um, you know, you don't have to be scientists to, to know that that shoulder and elbow injuries, pitching related shoulder and elbow injuries are prevalent throughout baseball, throughout all levels of baseball. And we know that that is modifiable. And what I mean by modifiable is that it's biomechanically related. So where I come in, uh, I'm the scientist. I'm the guy who comes up with, who comes and measures the numbers to order to measure what that risk is for a rotational torque at the uh, shoulder or a valgus torque at the elbow. These are risk factors for, you know, uh, posterior impingement, slap lesions, uh, uh, Tommy John, you, you name it. Some of the, the, the injuries you've heard throughout your careers, I'm sure. And I'm probably, I'm, pretty sure you know players who've had a shoulder or elbow injury so that's kind of my <laughs> exactly so that's my my interest and because um uh you know we have uh, some technology that allows us to measure what's called the kinematics which is the geometry of motion as well as the kinetics which is the forces and torques associated with that motion as well as the energy we can, can quantify you say that, with that risk Oh, sorry. sorry. That's, that's, no, that no, because that's key. That's really helpful to know. Mm -hmm. uh, so kinematics is just a, a fancy word for saying the geometry of motion. We can measure that three-dimensionally throughout the entire body. Kinetics is the, the forces and torques that cause or change that motion that we see. And then by extension, we can measure what's called the mechanical energy 
of movement, what we call segmental energies, which is very important because when we talk about the what's called the kinetic chain, the energy, mechanical energy flows through the body and ultimately to the throwing arm in order to create the momentum for a 95 mile per hour fastball, for example. So we can measure how segments of the body are able to interact with each other in order to get a certain output. So if I had to simplify this, and I could simplify it for any motion, it doesn't necessarily have to be baseball pitching, it could be the, the golf swing, it could be a, a jump, for example. The biomechanics of, of particularly in athletic movements is all about efficiency, you know, how much output you can get with the least amount of cost. You know, and try and, and the costs in this case are those specific factors that influence these injuries. Because I'm, I'm a, I'm an athletic trainer by trade. You know, I, I did my uh, athletic training training at, at San Diego State, um, but I'm also an engineer, a bioengineer. So I kind of, you know, merge both of those uh, worlds together in order to understand, mechanically speaking, what's happening to the body. For example, when a player pitches a ball off a mound because it's completely unnatural. Our bodies weren't built to pitch a baseball a foot off the ground to, you know, a, a target that's 60 feet, six inches, you know? And so when a player learns how to pitch, they, their body essentially adapts to that. And because of different ways that people train and their history, um, some may be uh, predisposed to a higher risk of an injury. So my job in my research is to understand a little bit more from a mechanical perspective what's happening in order to um, hopefully minimize that risk. So hopefully you, I, I, uh, <laughs> I yeah, yeah. That okay. Can you can you redefine like how you think about efficiency? Uh, well there's two kind of related terms there's efficiency and economy and so efficiency is kind of like the in your car right you've got fuel efficiency it's like how many um how many miles per gallon you know for example you know you've got a, a certain uh, uh ways to measure that so the efficiency economy is is uh, you know if you're looking at uh say running a mile yeah, in high school, you run a mile, you say, okay, you need to run it under seven minutes. It's a fixed distance, right? And so you you see how, how much cost does it take in order to reach that distance? So you want to increase your time. In in terms of pitching, um, you know, pitchers are either, are, are pitches and coaches are interested in either maintaining their ball speed or more importantly, improving it, right? And so where I come in is on the injury risk side, the cost is okay. Let's make sure that you can still throw your, your 95 mile for a fastball or even higher than that, but at a lower risk of injury to the shoulder and elbow. And there are ways, mechanically speaking, to work with our coaches, to work with the trainers in order to improve that efficiency. So biomechanical efficiency in this sense is, okay, how much energy or how much cost does it take in order for this player to either maintain or enhance their performance on the mound? How is energy being measured? Ooh, that's the that's the loaded question. And so, the last I'd say maybe three or four years, um, I've kind of shifted my focus to purely mechanical energy. And so, uh, we have ways in our lab, and this you know we're just using you know an extension of what's called Newtonian mechanics. This is physics based on Newton's three laws. So by extending that, we're able to calculate the kinetic and potential energy of each segment of the body. 
And so we've got some specialized software that allows us to measure what's called the segmental power, which is the rate of energy flow between each segments. And then most recently, I published a paper actually earlier this year on what's called induced power, which allows us to measure the contributions of certain segments, say for the pelvis and the trunk, towards the energy of the distal segment, which is the forearm and the wrist and the ball itself. And so using this, this technology, using this, the software, we're able to actually quantify the contributions of certain segments to the energy, the kinetic energy of the, uh, the distal arm. And you know, we're working with right now with Wake Forest University and, and doing some cross-sectional studies and trying to compare, for example, college to, to minor leagues, to, to, to major league and see, okay, you know, we talk a lot about energy flow through a kinetic chain, but no one's been able to quantify that until recently, until the last, I'd say, three or four years. So that's kind of where my energy has been. In fact, this summer, I was scheduled to give three talks at conferences specifically on induced power on the energy flow uh, uh, through the kinetic chain. But obviously, because of COVID, all these conferences were canceled. Um, however, I, you know, I've got some virtual uh, talks that will be given this summer real specifically related to that that topic. Yeah, so what I've, <clears throat> where my head's at is the amount of, like, your body wants to be efficient, like, calorically. Right. And so some of the movement that I see seems to be more energy efficient, but not as mechanically efficient, um, I think is a, a good way to think about it. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when I when I had that, when, that's a that's a loaded thought. You know, there's a lot sure, in that. Sure. Um, there is so a lot. What I'm trying to figure out um, long term, because I don't plan on leaving San Diego anytime soon, mm -hmm. is figuring out a way for us to. I know we talked a little bit in the past about testing some of our ideas and that I, I could present something like that, but man, it's, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I didn't do that because just where my head's at is so much further. So anyway, I'm uh, just movement, 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 right? And then mm -hmm. thinking about, okay, so my head's at where, you know, how much, so you could, you could take a 95 mile an hour arm and you could have it markered, however you're measuring it. Right. And you could have almost identical everything, but one person could have a little bit more supination and one person could have a little sure. bit more pronation sure. or there could be a, right. And those little things might just be quant like seen as, um, oh, these are just little differences, but, um, I don't know how, because you can't go into that looking for that specifically because the, you just can't look for every single variable. You know what I mean? So to say, hey, let's look at what is the angle of shoulders in these people, like just the shoulder. How many, how long does it take to just get that information? No, you know no. what I mean? No, well, in terms of biomechanics, whether, whether it's marker-based systems or markerless systems, we measure everything. The full body. If you've got a, a picture with a full body marker set, we're measuring three-dimensional kinematics, kinetics of the entire body, each segment. However, so I meant to look at it through a lens. So yeah, yeah. So, we, so we get all the data, and then we sit down with the coaches and say, based on our research, these are kind of the the top five, top six bullet points. So if, for example, you come in and say, you know what, I think something's happening with forearm protonation, supination, we can go back. We can go back to our database. Okay, well, let's take a look at this sample of pictures and see the correlation between supination, pronation, and 
you know, whatever, ball speed or, or Valgus torque, torque. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah, all of those. And, and we look at that. In fact, the, the energy flow analysis that we've been doing the last uh, couple of years, I, I really just been doing retrospective studies, looking at a, a secondary analysis on, exist, yeah. on our existing database. We've got over 200 players in there and we just, you know, we're fishing. We're looking and say, okay, why don't we look at this way? Because we have the data already. And this is the exciting thing about baseball because all of these teams, not just major league, but also in on the collegiate ranks, they have the technology. They're bringing their players, whether they're hurt or not, they're bringing their players as part of their pre-participation uh, physical says, okay, you're getting range of motion. You're, you're, you know, you're, we're checking out your, your injuries here and there with the, with the docs and, and with the trainers, but you're also going to go into the pitching lab and we're going to measure mechanics. So we have a database and then we'll see them three months later or, or six months later so that now we can begin to look back and look at maybe the associations of different metrics in order to predict either performance or injury risk, and more importantly, injury incidents. Because then if you follow them throughout the season and multiple season, and you've got John Doe here who has a history of, of Tommy John or, or, or slap lesions or whatever, we can then look back and say, look, okay, you know what? Now we're trying to, we're beginning to see something in the way they're, they're pronating, supinating for example, and start having these models where five years ago, we didn't have that, that access and yeah. other areas such as ACL research, you know, they've, they've had this paradigm for a while. So I'm, we're literally working, we're borrowing, if you will, that paradigm to baseball. And, and we're specifically looking at shoulder and elbow injuries. So this is an exciting time because teams are now being uh, more receptive to to the science. You know, they're hiring biomechanists left and right. I've been fortunate enough to send at least five students, former students of mine, who are working with Driveline, working with with this. I can say uh, with the Giants, with with the Indians, with the Reds. You, you name it, and they're doing what they did in my lab for them. And so it's a very exciting time uh, uh, for the for the field of sports biomechanics and for baseball biomechanics specifically. I I feel it. I feel it a lot. And <laughs> but it also scares me how slow baseball is in other places. Oh and yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I I I look at the glass half full um, because I've been in this this field specifically biomechanics in baseball for over you know gosh almost 15 years now and i can tell you even just 10 years ago if you bring up you know technology and i had force a hand you have to have a coach who was who is open to it at the time most coaches were like i don't need that stuff you know i got my video camera i got my eyes i i i, I know what i'm doing um, right. but the players are getting hurt still getting hurt and, and and the guys weren't performing up the speed. And so if you've got a coach who is, who is open to this, you know, I've got, you know, Tom House, gosh, man, 12 years ago, coming to my lab and said, Arnell, help me out. Let's, let's do this. It's, uh, it's, uh, you've got the technology. Let's work together. You know, we got a couple of papers out of that. I mean, it, it, it's an exciting. Now you've got hundreds of coaches who are interested in and guys who are willing to at different levels of baseball, be able to either partner up with an institution if they, you know, if they can't afford the technology themselves or the technology is coming to them. I mean, I just saw a thing for AI pitch AI where you can use your phone, your, your iPhone and just get some very basic metrics of a guy on a mound um, um, for the shoulder and elbow. I mean, it's, 
you know, not uh, uh, exact per se, it's not as accurate as say a marker-based system or a markerless system that's not a stadium, but it gives you something. Um, so it, it, it's an exciting time. And I, I think that the other levels of baseball will follow suit. The high schools, gosh, I mean, I was a, a modern day last year and this is high school and there were, you know, there they, we brought our system out in the field and they were, they were eating this up. So, I mean, it's, um, it's pretty exciting time for sure. So it's, it's interesting. Like, so I, I made a comment the other day, how you, you, I've heard so many people be like, kids just eat, get bigger, faster, stronger, eat, get bigger, faster, stronger. And I'm like, Hey, kids are listening. Like I'm seeing some high school kids that are huge humans, like yeah. little linebackers. <laughs> and I'm also going now, what are we training for? And so, so that's where I'm, I'm so interested in making sure that we're like, this is, this is what's so interesting is what then makes those, those things better. Right. And how do you generate an athlete that optimizes those, right. those things that you're measuring? Right. right. And, and I think that the, the scary part is those are often not baseball people. Right. And so these base, <clears throat> like what I feel like on the coaching side of this and hopefully I mean, and maybe technology creates just a market where there's enough money literally to just pay people to be better mm -hmm. at knowing movement, right? Because that's, that's, that's it. That's why most coaches don't know more movement stuff, right? Because where have there been the resources, right? So, so that's, I mean, that's where I'm coming from because, because I need to be a movement expert. I need to be a psychologist. Mm -hmm. I need to be. I need to be like a father figure too often of course, like, yeah. and I shouldn't say too often, like plenty often, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I love that part of our job, but it's, it's, it's these kind of things. And, um, a a anyway, marrying the two, all of it together is extremely challenging, right? Because there's still a, there's still a divide between the guy that's on the private sector, like, like me, like you, I, I feel mm. like you're more in private sector than, than, um, but and then and then the people actually on the field right so like you know how many i'm sure you've been told but what do you know how much did, you know did you play professionally yeah right I mean, like that that argument's everywhere that's crazy but that that's the that's the beauty of it though i come in i, I the first thing i say of when course. i meet with this teams is that i'm not a coach you know, I, know anything. I, you know, I played high school ball, you know, and there's yeah. a reason why i'm a scientist now right i was never <laughs> telling enough to be on the field but I have, uh, you know, a certain set of skills and knowledge and technology that I believe that will be beneficial for you and your team. And my job is not to change the way you coach, but give you some objective feedback that you, so that right. you can use for your right. own specific, uh, um, you know, training regimen. I've got, you know, work with 10 coaches. I'm probably going to get 10 different regimens in the way that they fix someone opening up too early, but I can at least give them the, um, the ability to interpret the data that comes out of that. So, it, you know, it's not like, and, and I, this was a, an issue 10 years ago where they thought that these biomechanists were coming and trying to replace them. No, not even. We're here to help you guys. We're here to help the coaches yeah. and, and, and be able to kind of marriage what the, the coaches say, what the coaches see to the, what 
scientists are able to objectively measure and interpret and say, okay, someone's saying hip shoulder separation. And, you know, I can't tell you how much I hate that term because it's not hips and shoulder, it's trunk and pelvis. And I say, okay, well, what you're really saying is trunk with respect to the pelvic rotation. That's kind of the uh, academic term for it. And then they'll say, oh, okay, I get, I get what you're saying, hip shoulder separation. Okay, cool. And then we can we can kind of marriage it to and use the numbers that we're getting in the lab or on the field so that it can help you as a coach be able to to help John Doe and and get better. Um, so there is a way, and this is why teams are hiring not just sports biomechanists, they're hiring sports psychologists, they're hiring nutritionists, you know, they're hiring strength and conditioning specialists, all of these to become their sports performance slash sports science team to work with the front office, to work mm -hmm. with, the, with the coaches and be able to use and leverage the technology to ultimately help the players. That's what, and, and obviously the team. So yeah, we're not here to That's funny. Yeah, it's, I mean, replace. Well, and, and that's the thing is, so I'm trying to bring to light the fact and, that. And the coach. Yeah, you guys were <laughs> kind of disconnected for a few seconds there. I think we're back on. Yeah, we're not trying to replace is where you left off. Yeah, and I was finishing my thought is that we, we hope to be a team with different specialties, different expertise that we could come together to ultimately benefit the player. And the team, obviously. So I'm curious. So yours is markered. Okay. Can you, can you give us a little bit of a kind of a, I feel like there was like a history to it. Like there weren't, there aren't a lot of yous in the world. Um, can you take us back a little bit of like who was pioneering this stuff and how that got you to where you are? And are oh, yeah. you, and I, I, I suppose ultimately are, is the is everybody's goal to get to tra uh, transition to markerless, or is there value in staying markered? Uh, yeah, well, there, there's multiple questions there, and I got multiple yep. answers. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, in terms of pioneers, uh, you know, I look up to guys like Glenn Fleissig, who you're familiar with, the ASMI. You know, he's you've been around for for years, if not decades. In fact, um, I don't know if you guys know this, we just formed a, an association specifically for baseball biomechanics called the American Baseball Biomechanics Society. We're actually having our first meeting in a couple weeks, and this is essentially a society of all the top minds in baseball biomechanics, guys from drive lines, guys from ASMI, Wake Forest, from Point Loma, you, you name it. Um, so uh, they're guys like 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 a Glenn Fleissig, um, like a, a Rafael Escamilla, who is actually my uh, my advisor when I was getting my PhD, and you know his mind and his experience in baseball is, is invaluable. Uh, he's currently at Sacramento, Cal State Sacramento. Um, and, and just, you know, biomechanists in general who, who have shown an interest in, in baseball. And so these are biomechanists that traditionally have worked in, for example, a gait analysis lab or a motion analysis lab, looking at specifically at walking and running, and then, you know, wanted to see how that would work in terms of uh, baseball pitching. So they bring in a mound and be able to measure that and, you know, 
uh, Michelle Seibick is, uh, is one that comes into mind, Sherry Werner, um, uh, Gretchen Oliver out of Auburn. Uh, so these are, you know, some of the top minds that I look up to. And, you know, we, whenever we have conferences is, you know, we try to meet and, and kind of brainstorm and see where the technology is going to be able to lead us in terms of the science. You asked about markerless. Um, you know, what I've told teams is that is that marketing technology is getting better, you know, it's getting that much more reliable, but still, at least right now, market-based technology is the gold standard. And the way I, I, I kind of envision this right now, this is the analogy I often use, is that you've got a player that's on the field and he gets hurt. And as a trainer, we come out there, we run our, our field tests, we, we take some really some rudimentary metrics and say, you know, I think this guy's got an ACL injury, I think. What do we do in order to confirm that? We send him to go get an MRI. The MRI is the gold standard in order to indicate whether or not this person has, in this case, an ACL injury. What I envision with markless technology, and I tell these teams all the time, I go, if, you, if money wasn't no, it wasn't an issue. All expenses paid, I would get both a markerless system and a marker-based system in the bullpen so that markerless technology, as feasible as it is, it's not quite there yet, especially in what we call out-of-plane rotations. It's not very reliable yet. It may be, you know, a few years down the line, but it's not quite there yet. So if you're watching a pitcher inning through inning and and looking at the, their mechanics, looking at his uh, his torque at the shoulder and elbow, and you're like, ah, you know, I'm seeing some red flags according to this marketing system. You know, we need to send him tomorrow to the bull, uh, bullpen uh, pitching lab and get him markered up and really, really look under the microscope. And then you could begin to compare notes between the market-based system and markless system. It, you know, it, it's exciting because I've seen some of the data and some of it is, is, is right on the money. You know, you can look at kind of what's called sagittal plane motion. It's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's elbow flexion extension is exactly what it's doing. And then you look at forearm pronation, supination, like uh, there's no way that guy's getting 300 degrees of pronation. That doesn't make sense, you know? Um, so, and the markless people, they'll tell you that. It's like, yeah, you know, we're still trying to figure this out. It doesn't make sense here, you know, but there are ways that we can optimize that. That's why the, the benefit of having both a marker-based system and a markless system is not only can you confirm what you're seeing on the field, you can then use the data to run validation tests so then you can yeah. begin to optimize that hey we expect that what we're getting on the field is going to be around 70 75 percent reliability we're right. okay with that it's kind of like the fitbit you know we use our fitbits for heart rate and things to measure our exercise intensity but it's by no means the gold standard and so if i'm looking at a runner and he said yeah i looked at my workload using my fitbit and it looks like i'm i'm getting a, you know five ten percent more intensity blah 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 well why don't we send you go see um uh, michelle at the exercise phys lab and he'll she'll get your vo2 tested vo2 max in this case is the gold standard the criterion reference standard for for aerobic capacity right and so this is kind of how we envision some of the, the markless technology, not just that, the wearable sensors, the blast motions, the, the modus sleeve, all of that. Yeah. It gives us these metrics because they're so feasible and readily available, but their validity, what we call the concurrent validity is not quite there yet. It's not as high as we'd like it to be, which is okay. You know, we take these things with a grain of salt and use the, at least for now, use the, the market-based technology as kind of our gold standard. Yeah, it's just, mm -hmm. the wearables are so interesting. Mm -hmm. um, 
we've talked a blast about just ha- you know having something on the fingers or the wrists or both wrists um just as like the simplest things like simplest metrics are just like hey yeah. you know just having a lo- following that is is so helpful do you know what i mean With sure. knowing nothing else yeah. besides just hand path um but but then again i i don't know so i'm i'm sitting over here going like who's going to solve the problem of connecting these things cuz at the abca convention this year everything was just like well, you know, the technology is here and now it's about deciphering it and like the delivery of it. And it's like, and it's like well, what, yeah, no, go ahead. That's, that, I think that's what the unfortunate thing is, is that when the, the, the vendors out there, and I get it, you know, they're marketing their systems, they kind of oversell a little bit. And if you have a coach who's still kind of learning the technology and it says, well, you know, I can use this vest. It's going to give me three-dimensional rotation of the trunk. I was like, eh, wait a sec here. You need to look at that. What teams have been doing, this is what's the smart thing, is that they're hiring these sports biomechanists to work and run their actual sports science programs to be that liaison, to be that interpreter, say, no, we've got these um, kind of classes of, of sensors, the wearable sensors, the markerless technology, the marker-based technology, and they're able to explain to coaches, okay, we can use all three, but this is what you're going to get in terms of validity if we use this wearable sensor. This is the, the, the terms of reliability and validity if we use this marker-based technology. So now the coaches begin, oh, you know what, the modus shows that this guy's getting 100 newton meters of alvalgosorc at the elbow. However, I understand that, you know, it's not quite the, the same as getting it um, measured in the lab. Can I get it measured in in the market based uh, uh, pitching lab? They begin to understand what they're getting, which is which is okay as long as they know what they're getting and not over interpreting or putting too much value in, for example, a wearable sensor. That's fine. You know, um, or a markerless technology, and I think that was important. Whereas before, you know, even just as recently as three years ago, maybe three or four years ago, they would tend to say, "Oh, look, you know, the sensor is giving me, you know, valgastork." Yeah, and they assume that is what they're measuring is the exact same thing that what they're measuring in the lab. When there is, you know, there's, you know, uh, at least a thirty percent difference in that, and so that's where, you know. Here, education is important in terms of all the biomechanists and all the scientists who are beginning to work in these organizations to slow things down. <laughs> because the technology, as you know, you go to these conventions, you go to these meetings, and yeah, it's it's moving at a rapid pace. But beginning to understand what you're actually getting out of them, you know, as long as you understand that, I think that's okay. And then begin to absorb uh, accordingly. Yeah, I mean, just because I'm looking at how both sides, uh, you know, qualify themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And the amount of education that you have to have to get to even like, begin to test anything, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, how long you've been doing that. And then, you know, what qualifies somebody in our world and how certifications are becoming a thing. Um, But it's just so hard to um, be in this conversation, right? How, How do, you know, seriously, who is... Who is on our side that is going to be like be able to drop anything to become in you know to get into that conversation, right? right. It's it's there's such a it's so complicated to to bring it all together, and it has to happen from the top, and sure. that's where it's yeah. that's that's really where I, you know it's hard for me to in our position. I, I find myself talking about Major League Baseball a lot on the show, just mm-hmm. just because that has to be the problem. You know, because that's where the authority is. And I don't even know who introduced the idea originally, but it's the same thing with like when you come to San Diego, state is like 
uh, no offense to any other place, but like people love state, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sure, and so sure. like that prestige is with every, everything, you know what sure. I mean? So it's, it's, that's where people are going to get the information, right? So if you go to a little kid camp at state right now, you're going to assume that that's really good information. And then, and then that's none of these college camps that you go to are the best of the best of the best. Nobody's actually claiming that, right? right? right. It's just that this is the dynamic. This is the reality, sure. right? But that just poses the the whole thing here of like, oh man, <clears throat> in, in order for us to, in order for our side to appreciate the brilliance that you're doing, right? It's just gonna, I don't know what it's gonna take you know, because it's like, we have these, we have pitching coaches on here all the time mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, we have the right sentiment. We're going in the right direction. And then you go, we're, we're trying to have a hitting there's there. We were in a debate. We got invited to a debate, Arnell. And, <laughs> um, we had, a, we actually had the guy on the other day. Like it was fine. It was like, buddy, buddy. And they're trying to have a hitting debate they can't even get guys together because they nobody wants to talk about it. Right. So this is like the climate of coaching. Yeah. Right. And then and then think about that in a cage and then how kids are being taught these movements. And then you're over here and you're just like, can can we just like collect something? Can we collect something so I can help this process a little bit more? Yeah. Right. And so you have to fight through all of this. And and again, it comes from the top down. And and there's this there's this huge like collect and or keep everything to me and and so i you know off air i was just like you know being careful with that because i know we have to protect when we start having affiliated conversations sure and i think i think it's so silly and i've said this before and I'll, i'll stop at this but i think it's so silly to assume that if i find out something and i tell it to you right now that you getting that information is as valuable as me acquiring that information (laughs) <laughs> and then coming to that same conclusion because the process is everything and we all know this right and so the the interpretation of my information will not be as pure as my actual thing so it's very easy for me to justify free information take it all i'm going to tell you everything that i'm knowing all of the time it doesn't matter because i'm doing the work and if you're not doing the same work as me like I'm winning anyway. I'm winning because of the work that I'm putting in. So maybe I'm too pure in how I think about it, but that's where I'm so frustrated is I'm a coach who has no accolades whatsoever, who has just wanted to be a good coach and and asking the best coaches in my world has not been a very good experience. And asking people in your world is like, oh, this is so much easier to have a conversation, right? <laughs> So there, well, I mean, as a scientist that works in academia, I mean, our job is to disseminate new knowledge, and we work in a peer-reviewed environment. I get, my work gets uh, reviewed all the time. You know, whenever we submit a paper or when we're presented at a conference, we, I, you know, I get questions. I mean, and I question, you know, other scientists as well. That's how, that's how the research evolves. And so we we want to share. We I want, you know, Kristen and Wake Forest to replicate this study, or I want Glenn at ASMI to 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 validate or to confirm what I'm seeing in the lab or or not confirm. It's like, oh, maybe I looked at it a different way, a different, a different lens. And, and that's okay. You know, that I think that's, that's the beauty of, of research. And so hopefully, you know, the coaches begin to understand a little bit. They don't necessarily have to speak the, 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 the fancy biomechanics and scientific terms, but 
we they can at least uh, appreciate what they know as a coach and begin to understand how the science and technology begins to validate or change the way they they coach the way they train and so you took the first step is you know calling me up or you know talking with glenn or, or maybe talking to driveline driveline has certification um program where coaches can right. learn a lot of this stuff um and that, that's awesome i mean our coach went to driveline at, at point loma and he he's calling me up texting me say hey arnell you know you know i got four guys i want you to take a look at all right let's do it and you know we sit down together where you will look at uh, the reports you know i give my best interpretation and at least on the uh on the biomechanics side and then he gives his coach his uh his 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 knowledge of what he knows with each individual player and begins to work with them and so we we get to see some of these guys you know six months later and so I think it's not trying to figure everything out is depending on those who are willing to listen and, and be willing yourself to listen, to listen to other coaches, to listen to scientists, listen to other trainers and, and absorb that and work together. And a lot of it for the most part is free. You can call these up and then, you know, I think most scientists I know are willing if they have time willing to, you know, take a few minutes and say, yeah, let's talk shop. You know, I love this stuff. Um, you know, so it, you know, step by step. And you know, the great thing about it, the reason why we're in, in our position with Major League Baseball is because a lot of the people who are in the front office who used to be coaches, who are younger coaches that work with scientists, understand the process. Now they're in a position to they essentially have the wallets. They essentially have the power to say, yeah, I, I want to start a sports uh, science or sports performance program let's do this let's uh, you know the, the rays the astros were one of the first to do this and open and hired guys from north carolina and hired guys from um, different universities to run their programs and then that expanded to 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 the reds to the uh, the, the indians to the blue jays gosh you know I'm just off the top of my head the uh, the brewers i mean the padres just this past spring i mean it's so it's 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 fun to see and you i gotta credit guys like driveline and asmi and some of these other institutions who are doing the right thing and merging the, the coaching world as well as the science world and saying, yes, we can work together on this and, and benefit uh, the, the baseball teams and the players themselves. Is there any, um, I, I don't know how, what made me think that this might be a thing. Do you have like an arch nemesis or is there that kind of level of, competitiveness among scientists <laughs> I, think so. I don't know where, in terms of science where somebody's yeah. like i'm gonna prove arnell wrong that that guy i mean uh, we, uh, maybe on twitter i mean you got you got these bro scientists, scientists on twitter. yeah exactly that, twitter scientists yeah it's yeah, like yeah, no yeah. you're, you're you're looking at it wrong your 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 interpretation is all wrong yeah you know part of the yeah you know, I, I take it with a grain of salt and i go well yeah you're free to run your own study and Get it peer reviewed and get it published and, and counter what I'm seeing. That that's fine. Um, like I said, I don't have everything figured out. Um, I maybe, uh, you know, one of the things that we often do when we publish these papers, we list our limitations and look. It's like, look, we only looked at this portion, or our our sample size was only seven or eight. And so, yes, uh, there are questions that I would like to answer that I didn't answer with this particular study. Um, 
but we hopefully, you know, moving down the line is be able to look at that a little bit more in depth. You know, I don't know how, how many conferences and how many talks I've given these conferences where I probably spend more time answering questions than I did actually presenting the research because they either want to know more or they disagreed with something. If they disagree, that's, that is, that is okay. And sometimes I, I end up agree, agreeing with them. Like, you know what? You're, I think you're right. I didn't look at it that way. Um, maybe, you know, I'll go back into to the lab and see if I can kind of look, uh, change my model a little bit or change my, my, my question, you know, formally my question, but that that's science in general. We got to be open to what we, what we call a falsifiable hypothesis. There's always a, a probability that the hypothesis that you're testing is going to be wrong per se, right. right? And so it's all about probabilities. You know, what's the probability of, based on your sample, that this particular hypothesis is either correct or not correct? So just kind of, I probably oversimplified that a little bit, but- So no arch nemesis. No arch nemesis per se. You know, we're very- well, and, and, this is what, and this is what I'm thinking. I'm going, <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm six years old and I want to be a scientist when I grow up. Like, mm -hmm. do, can I be a baseball scientist? Yeah. And I'm, then is- yeah. You know, is are those kind of narratives helpful? Um, like, are these the because because at the end of the day, Cutter Nation is really good at trying to tell stories. Trying yeah. keyword. Okay. Hey, <laughs> and, hey, that's, that's and, okay. no, but but that's what it is. And so, if we can paint a picture to kids that you know this is these are the kinds of things that could have an impact on the game that you yeah. wouldn't think about. You know, and it's like I, I mean it. How many of you exist right now? Imagine how impactful that is if there's 10 times that much in five oh, years. I really agree. Right? And nobody d doesn't want that. Go ahead. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I, I mentioned earlier, I've got at least five former students, five graduate students who are now working full-time in baseball as a biomechanist. I guarantee you all of them, when you first asked them, when they first came into the program, that they're going to be a biomechanist, let alone a baseball biomechanist, that's a no, I've never heard of it. A lot of them came in wanting to be a trainer, wanted to be a physical therapist, want to be an OT, different things. And then they got a chance to work in a biomechanics lab and more importantly, be working on the field. We took them to spring training every year, giving them the experience to work with coaches and, and players. And now, in fact, I, you know, a good friend of mine, Amy Ogren, she's the first uh, female biomechanist for the San Francisco Giants. And she's a full-time biomechanist. I just talked to her and, you know, and I asked her to kind of give a talk to my introductory biomechanics class and give, share her experience because just a few years ago, she was in the same boat. She had no idea what a biomechanist, let alone biomechanist in baseball. Now she's doing it full-time. And so I'm telling students to go, look, yes, if you want to be a PT, you want to be a trainer, let's, let's, I'll, We'll do our best to, to make sure you're prepared to go to PT school or, or to OT school. However, there is an opportunity here in biomechanics, in baseball, in, um, you know, some other fields, uh, working at Nike, working at Adidas, for example, as a biomechanist. And I'll, I, you know, our lab will train you to make sure you're prepared to do that. And, you know, fortunately, the, they came at a right time when baseball was hiring like crazy specifically for biomechanism. And I, I tease my students all the time. I go, where were these opportunities? When I was first coming out of grad school, I would love to jump on these. Um, and they're still hiring. I mean, they're coming back to the field. And, you know, I don't know how many of my friends call me up, say, hey, Arnell, do you have any students who are graduating this year? And you may be interested in an internship or interested in this specific position. Um, and so, I, you know, I give them the resumes and, and, and 
the worst and, and and the rest is 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 history as they say and so it's it's pretty exciting time for a student that's going into a program that wants to learn a little bit more about biomechanics and more importantly get a career in biomechanics which is uh, unheard of you know even just five years ago so it's pretty exciting gosh and 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 then i'm also thinking like literally a baseball like scientist where it's mm -hmm. it's everything right because right now we're just looking at some like little things right because we need people looking at shortstops doing everything that they're doing and that's so dynamic and technology yeah. cannot yeah. conceptualize that yet yep. do you know what i mean and yeah. you know um you know i connected you with weston just like mm -hmm. weston mm -hmm. germain with the modus stuff that they're doing i mean um it seems like you were insinuating some things earlier um but maybe not but point is is like the information's being gathered whether it's as good as it can be like that's the jobs mm -hmm. of people sure. like you and then the engineers and stuff like that but it's being collected and and we're even considering what workload management is right mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. the cool thing about weston stuff is like the conversation clearly hasn't been really addressed because you know he's doing groundbreaking stuff <laughs> over 14 weeks a 14 week study is clearly brown groundbreaking because nobody's done it since they they wrote that that return to throw stuff like nobody's doing that kind of stuff um and so anyway um it, it's it's just it's awesome to see it all coming together yeah i, I totally agree yeah. with you it's a very exciting time and it's and i'm just wondering how the heck it's gonna all happen you know, and how long it's going to take. <laughs> I mean, I'm like I said, I'm an optimist. I, I think it's going to move in the right direction. Um, you know, the only what's the saving grace is when I meet with these teams, and it, you know, a vendor comes in with this new technology that does you know A, B, and C, and they're always holding the brakes. It's like, oh, let's hold up. Let's let's look at this from you know this perspective and this perspective. They're not over selling. You know, or, or or interpreting it as some, you know, as something that, as technology that does more than it says it actually does, or vice versa. Um, so you've got the scientists that are part of the team. They're saying, you know, what, hold, let's hold a break. Let's take a look at this a little bit. Um, let's know exactly what it provides and whether and determine whether or not it's beneficial for our team. So across the league, you there a lot of them have sports biomechanics uh, or sports performance programs but they have different levels of technology based purely based on what the scientists are willing to accept and because ultimately like you said earlier it's the guys on the top who are, who are basically forking over the millions of dollars to pay for this so they want to make sure that okay are you actually going to use this and how is it going to make our team more competitive how is it going to make our guys healthier and so that's where the scientists come in and be able to provide that feedback yeah and and at every level, I mean, it, what's so obvious is it's a really simple message. Like this, if you just make it about the players and you realize that the healthier that my players are to every degree, right, that yeah. you, you'll be a better program. Like it's, it, and, and you take that to Little League too. It's like, what's most important for, uh, you know, five to 10 year olds, that they have right. fun and they genuinely have fun, right? right. Like every right. time that this is a collectively a very positive experience and they'll be really good ball players because of that. It's so simple. Yep. Like, right. <laughs> but that's not what happens. <laughs> that's not what happens. Hey, we're talking about hip and shoulder separation. What, hey, 
how are you ever going to hit the ball in the outfield if you don't separate your hit? What, what are we talking about yeah. right now? <laughs> Dude, give him his bubble gum and let's go. Let him play. <laughs> let him play. Exactly. Uh, but it's right. It's literally the same thing at the big league level too, right? Just like, hey, let's let's pump them up. Like these guys are awesome, but also <laughs> let's feed them. And you see that, right? Like the f- feeding them is such a different thing. You know, like I coached in the Northwoods and – you know, it's still like we're getting hot dogs and burgers a lot, right? It's really hard to eat healthy in those situations. <laughs> Cressy writes about this all of the time, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but 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 you, it seems to be at the highest level, the highest level only. They're getting fed pretty well, right? And they <laughs> yeah. always have been fed well. I just don't think that they were being offered, um, you know, the healthiest options. You know, so you well, see, nowadays, yeah, I see. Yeah, they've got nutritionists, sports nutritionists, on board that are working with, you know, the, the food, the food vendors that work with the teams, and yeah, I've been pretty fortunate to kind of, you know, uh, break bread with a lot of teams in their their clubhouse, and they, they pre they eat pretty well, and and it's it's definitely healthy healthy options. They'll still have their burgers, hot dogs, and pizza. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> but, of course, of course. Uh, but yeah, but, I mean, they've they're they're being guided by you know, nutritionists and, and RDs for, for sure. Just, and, and just the culture has changed. Go, John. Yep. I was say it just, it just made me giggle at myself too, because I was, when I was an indie ball, I was, uh, you know, how superstitious we are. And I got into a habit of crushing a large pizza the night before my start. <laughs> it takes, it takes one, one game of over 10 strikeouts and you're just like, well, I pizza a, hut's, pizza. hut's going to make some money for me this year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I know I it's a little more in. complicated, yeah, it, right? Is it yeah, pepperoni sure. or? Of course, of course, right? Pepperoni, extra no pineapple, pepperoni, extra cheese. No, I'm I'm a pretty pretty American type baseball yeah, player. Yeah. You know pepperoni. what I mean? Like, Keep it yeah. simple. You, you start adding crazy stuff to the pizza, I'm gonna get upset. You know what right? I mean? Keep yeah. it simple. There you go. Um, I I know I haven't been speaking a lot, but this has just been amazing to listen um, to everything that you've been saying. Cass has been updating me you know, in your guys' conversations. Um, one of the questions that I have, um, you know, knowing how the body develops over time and how our athletes are, are you seeing any trends, you know, and I'm not sure about the age ranges that you're, mm-hmm. you know, studying, um, but I, you know, it's interesting to me. Um, I once saw a 12 year old in Mexico throw 90 miles an hour. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And, and um, underdeveloped uh, muscle wise, obviously as a 12 year old, but he was also, mechanically he was like 510 um he was a former major leaguer's um son and one of the things that baffled me with this idea was was when i saw him throw 90 and of course he throws 100 now you know like it mm-hmm. he's 19 or 20 um i don't see at least honestly a breakdown in a lot of these guys uh you know and on the flip side of the same thing i saw a 40 year old throw 100 also so like I've seen this weird spectrum of stuff. And so trending with age ranges is really what I was asking from mm-hmm. you. Is there mm-hmm. any is there any trending information that that you could enlighten us on 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 ages uh, to like what you're seeing if, it, if it injuries or non-injuries or anything like that? Well, I mean the the general trend is is expected is that the the torques that that are induced at the shoulder and elbow Increases. I mean, that's a, you don't necessarily need to be a scientist to understand that as a person grows, the more mass they have, uh, the more energy is being imparted on the throwing arm. However, if you look a little bit more under the hood, it's not a 
specific linear relationship. It depends on mechanic. Like you said earlier, you hit the you hit the nail on, on the head. There is that. Yeah, you can get someone who's skinny that's you know has a BMI less than less than twenty and is able to throw. You know, in, in the mid nineties, at you know such a young age, and it's because of of mechanics. And if you understand the way a person pitched, the way the person hits its entire body and how well the pitcher is able to transfer energy through the body and be able to work it like a whip. You don't necessarily have to be strong per se in terms of muscle mass and whatnot, but you got to be able to just be able to facilitate that energy flow and be able to impart that momentum. So so it's, it's very fascinating how younger players working with different coaches, working with you know, their experience are able to be so efficient in what they do, given what they have. I'm like, God, look at this skinny kid. He's able to, you know, throw this this hard. Or or look at this guy, you know, this guy is like, you know, five seven, you know, buck forty and is able to hit home runs and whatnot. It's because of the way they move and be able to impart that momentum. If they do certain things in their movement correctly, you don't necessarily have to be strong. Sometimes stronger and bigger is actually an impediment to that. Because then you gotta, you gotta tweak things a little to make sure that they be more efficient. I mean, and so it, it's just pretty amazing when you you see that. And it, what what we often do when we publish our, our data, especially our kinetics data, we often normalize by body mass so that we compare apples to apples. And in the elbow, it, you know, at, across every league, the average percentage of body weight and height at the elbow in terms of torque is around four or five percent. Doesn't matter if they're a major league or, or, or college or in the little league, right around four percent. So if they go above that percentage in terms of normalized torque, that's when it begins to be in a red flag for the elbow uh, specifically. Um, and so that we have something to go off on that. And so it doesn't matter, you know, what their 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 anthropometrics are like. We know that there there are certain things that are going to stay relatively consistent with other things in their mechanics that are ultimately going to change depending on their training, depending on their training and their workload, obviously. Okay, so that brings you to my next question. That and I, this is a weird one um, as far as um, <clears throat> it, it's it's anecdotal, right? Um, so the same. Let's let's go back to the twelve year old, right? Um, one of the things that I see with uh, hard throwers is longevity, right? And obviously, mm-hmm. if you don't have a efficient motion that creating, you know, vast torque, then you're not going to be able to train as much and you won't be able to throw as much, right? Um, Timeframes of throwing seem to be a debate of people. And I'm talking over careers, right? Uh, mm-hmm. There's certain guys that I've followed, you know, with video, um, I'm not sure if, if you know this, but I broke my elbow my senior in college um, pitching, and I came back with two screws. I had an electron fracture, an invulsion fracture of the electron. Oh, that's what yeah. I had. And um, it was from massive pronation and, like, just slamming, basically, mm-hmm. you know, the, the electron into my uh, humerus, right, and just mm-hmm. one after another because I was told that was right, even though I had talked about, <laughs> like, the issues to it of what I was feeling. Um that being said, you know, that seems to be in, in the people that we talk to about throwing that like you hear these things like you only have so many bullets, you you know, uh, things like that. And I think in after I saw a 40 year old throw 100 in Mexico and what I've <laughs> talked to that person about doing like that guy has always thrown 100 since he was 18. 
right? He was a Dominican mm-hmm. dude. Mm-hmm. He threw a hundred and then he just kept throwing. Like he just never sure. stopped. Sure. And when I say never stopped, like he's basically paid, played summer winner as a reliever for like 20 years. And it's crazy, right. but also not because I see his process, right? I can tell that, you know, he long tosses every day to make sure he's fresh. Now the crazy thing was, he didn't pitch in a game unless he could shovel fire from home plate out of center field. That's mm-hmm. the craziest thing I've ever seen. But he would do that after BP. So I'm I'm just wondering, you know, in 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 that longevity side of it, have you seen any anything there with that? As far as, you know, we talk about the arm can't hit the body when you throw, um, and I don't know if that's a real biomechanic issue or not. But I feel like it's a question that that when I see things and I think about a car crash and the amount of force energy that's going into the arm as it comes around, it needs space to decelerate. And I'm just, I I don't know if this is something that you've thought about or whatever, but we see a lot of guys who seem to have some elbow and shoulder soreness more than normal, especially when they get fatigued, when that arm is kind of either banging into the rib cage or maybe even into the leg or something from there, a little bit more aggressively than some other guys. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And you're really talking about what the body, the way the body responds to, to, to stress. And I remember Tom House telling me this a long time ago. Is he goes, kids today, they pitch too much, but they don't throw enough. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you know, look, I mean, back in our day, we used to throw the football, you know, on the field, you know, every day or, you know, on a regular basis. Now you got guys who are playing, you know, you know winter, winter ball and, and you may some, some, some summer leagues are pitching off the mound and then they go back and they play video games all day and, and, and try to throw again and train again. And their bodies now are adapting to the stresses that impose on them. There's a, a, a a phenomenon in not just in biomechanics and physics in general called Wolf's Law. And Wolf's Law essentially states that the body, the joints, the muscles will respond to the stresses imposed upon them. And right around, you know, younger than 12 years old, if you got a, a kid that's throwing, throwing and pitching, you know, on a regular basis, not overdoing it, just, you know, just throwing, he's essentially stressing his body. He's preparing his body to essentially adapt to the kinetic profiles and patterns of baseball pitching. And if you follow these guys, and they, if they're lucky enough to to throw to the college ranks, to the minor leagues and major leagues, and you do just some some bone scans. I mean, they did bone scans on Nolan Ryan, and he had this much external rotation, hemorrhage retroversion. Of, this is retroversion of the, of the humerus um, by as much as, gosh, it was by... 45, 50 degrees more than his non-throwing side because he's been throwing for so long, his bones essentially adapted to it, his ligaments and muscles. And so if you can teach a kid proper mechanics just for a fastball um, and allow their bodies to grow accordingly, that essentially prepares them because as they get older, as I mentioned earlier, these stresses begin to, to... to increase mm-hmm. and 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 you got overexposure repetitive exposure to uh the torque at the elbow as well as the shoulder and their little ligaments and, and bones and, and muscles are now prepared to withstand that that's how they're able to throw it at, at top speeds with minimal amount of cost so you got to start them young got to start and you guys are in the forefront work with the little leaguers and the pony leagues and get them to throw properly and get them to throw on a regular basis off the mound you know, just get them to essentially adapt to them. Um, so that's number that's number one. Number two is, you know, once they're in the college and, and the pro ranks, you know, as you know, it's really 
I, I say a little bit more difficult or more challenging to change the way they throw, right? They, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. So what we're hoping for as biomechanists is now that we have the technology available, it says, yeah, we, we're, we're able to measure the stress at the shoulder and elbow. And typically in the lab that's done with 15 fastballs. If we're able to do that with markless technology on the field, for example, and go inning by inning, pitch by pitch, then we're going to get a more accurate representation of workload and determine, okay, what are the fatigue points? What are the criteria for taking a pitcher out in seventh or eighth inning? Um, with actual data before it was just kind of anecdotal it's like yeah we know there's putting he's putting 100 newton meters on his elbow we assume he's doing that after every pitch every fastball at least but we're not actually measuring because we simply didn't have the technology um at the time to do it now we're moving in that direction where we begin to kind of just formulate our thinking our decision making process using these objective measures i we there, there are teams who have biomechanists in the bullpen that are with their pitching coaches. They're monitoring their guy, that their starting pitcher, and saying, yeah, you know, he's he's getting up there in the red flag. Not just with arm slot, not just with ball speed, but with actual metrics at the shoulder and elbow. Say, I, you know, we need to take him out. Uh, and this it's, is it. It's very important for what you're saying there because we always talk about how your game, you know, motion is normally more aggressive and you throw way harder with adrenaline than you would in, in your bullpen. Totally. Um, we have a lot of guys that get frustrated with the radar gun because they can't hit the speed they want, but they don't realize what the environment actually does to their body. Yep. Right. They're, you know, they're getting, they're trying to get jacked up to throw 90 and they can't even break 86. Like, yeah. And it's like, man, there's so many other things that go into this that you can't access that energy right now cleats you know out everywhere inside yeah. Yeah, exactly there's not a batter there's no flight or flight response right you know? and then you put markers on and then they're yeah. then i can't tell you how many guys you know your radar garden's off you need to recalibrate your radar garden i was like it's a stalker i mean it's like the crap. Yeah, it just, yeah, it happened at my, when i was there right, when right. i was there i'm like yeah yeah <laughs> It's like, dude, uh, yeah, you're right. It, <laughs> but to be able to get that in game, um, you know, with with Hawkeye, Kinetrax, and Simi, some of this marketless technology that's out there, they're getting some pretty valuable data here. Um, even if it's just really basic metrics uh, for the shoulder and arm, uh, for the for the shoulder and elbow, um, and be able to get them at their 100% intensity you know, in a game, like you said, the flight or the fight or flight uh, uh, the feelings and be able to, oh, wow, he's, he's hitting in the upper 90s. This is what it's showing. This is what the data is showing. So, um, so again, I hate to use the word again, but it's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, gosh. Well, I, I, I can't um, wait to come throw for you, man. Yeah, just like come I'm, on I'm, in. I'm the, I'm the weirdo, Arnell. Like, <laughs> dude, I, I threw 138 pitches last Thursday and I'm fine. And like, yeah? I don't, okay. I'm 30, I'm 34 years old and I, I can get to the nineties and I just Let's throw do all day. Let's do so it. like, it, it's a weird thing to me, but also like not because I know what the feeling is. Like, just like you were saying, like, I don't feel stress when I throw ever. Okay. So, like, uh, we'll get you, we'll get you markered up, man. Yeah. As soon as the bullpen reopens, which is hopefully pretty soon here, um, we, we definitely want to get some players in there. Um, and I can get you in as part of a research study, you know, free of charge, get you to, get you to throw for us for sure. Hey, whatever you need, dude, whatever you, well, I would love to help advance whatever information that you need, you know? Cool. So, get, all right, well, Arnold. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you, Arnold. That's all I was going to say. Thank you so much. Okay. Is, well, thanks I for mean, having me. Like the, 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 even just like the takeaways from the kids. I mean, 
it's so much better to hear a scientist tell you to start kids throwing young than just a guy. So thank you so much, <laughs> among many, many other things that you brought yeah, up That was today. huge. So, it was. I appreciate it. Of thank course. You so much. Well, no, thanks for having me. And I appreciate it. I love talking shop with you guys, especially coaches like yourself who are even showing an inkling and interest in, in, in the science, which is, you know, I mean, that's the first step. And that's, uh, I think it's going to be nothing but beneficial for you guys as a coach and ultimately to the players. I mean, we're all, we all want the same end goal here. We want healthier players who are able to perform at the top, um, uh, at the top level, right? Top performance. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you Appreciate very much, Arnell. Okay. All right, guys, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Check out the website, cutternation.net. Arnell, this was amazing. We got to do this again. You were you, you definitely opened up a you know a lot of eyes <laughs> here in San Diego. So thank you so much. And if you get a chance, for those of you out there, check out the American Baseball Biomechanics Society. It's free to join. If you have any interest in the science itself, um, check it out. Just Google it, and it'll bring you up to the website. Awesome. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you All so right, much. All right, guys. Have a good Cheers. one. Have a good one. Stay safe.